the right amount of drunk for this. I have been so geeky this week, you guys. You are the Yoda of abdominal tumors. This is serious business. Greetings! Sometimes you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and this is serious business. I am Jeff, your host for this week's episode, and I've got a very, very awesome panel this week, consisting of Kristen and Rob. Rob, who I feel like I have not talked to in, in quite yeah. some time. Oh my god. I've been missing you, Rob. My my heart is just all flutter right now. Mm-hmm. Glad to be back with you as my host, my captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Yes. Brother, your captain. Mm-hmm. King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now kiss so, him gently on the forehead. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't see it, podcast listeners, but I just did it. It was, it was kind of nice. <laughs> it was very tender. I, <laughs> I guess it was all right. You know? Mm-hmm. I'll accept it. So, Rob, how's, how's life? It's good. I just discovered a dent on my MacBook Pro. Oh, I newly shit. discovered dent, and now I'm like, I'm, I'm just mad. I'm it, mad at everything. It, I don't know how it happened or when it happened. Is it on the top? No, it's on the side. Oh, okay. it's, by the, it's by the battery indicator. I keep obsessive care of my Mac, so I'm just, I'm just baffled, and my, my world's upside down right now. It Mine is be... covered in stickers. It's going to be better. <laughs> It may be, Rob, that you are having a memento-like, life-changing experience, and that you have lost your memory of using your MacBook to bludgeon someone to <laughs> yeah, who you were more. tricked into killing by your ex-wife's former lover's lawyer. Right. Yes, we're going to, uh, at some uh, grim revelation in the future, we'll, we'll flash back to this moment where I discover the mysterious dent. <laughs> the mysterious dent. Yeah. yeah. You Write it down it on, on your, your arm. Own head. And that's why you can't remember anything. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. oh my god. Yeah. The dent was from him. Oh. Uh, well, other than the dent, I'm doing fine. That's great. Yeah. Great to hear. So, uh, Rob, who's your favorite Disney villain? Uh, the old traditional animation ones don't really hold up for me. I remembered uh, Sid from Toy Story 1. I think, like, we all knew a Sid... Or were Sid at some point? He resonates with me. Just one of those evil kids that didn't take care of their toys. He just wanted to see the world. Burn. Yeah, burn. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we um, going to talk about Batman later? Hmm. Oh, uh, maybe. Two references already. Two references yeah. already. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have a feeling it'll come up at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be really funny if it doesn't, though. It uh, is. So, uh, Rob, what if anything are you drinking this fine? Um, I guess uh, it's late afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's like for you. It's like for you. It's early, way early. Afternoon. Yeah, but yeah, it's not even three o'clock here. I'm enjoying uh, a little, a little whiskey and ginger ale. Not bad. And it's mild afternoon. Mm-hmm. Sounds sounds classic. Is it Canadian whiskey? It's uh, the usual Evan Williams. So no, it's Kentucky. Ah, Kentucky whiskey. Good mm-hmm. call. Good call. Cool. Well, moving on, we got Kristen. Kristen, how's it going? It's going well. Glad to hear it. It's always going well with you. It's never not going well. It's because I'm a liar. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. So, Kristen, who uh, who is your favorite Disney villain? In the five seconds I went over this to prepare for the podcast, I basically just decided on Jafar. He turns into a motherfucking snake. So. Yeah, that was cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my favorite Disney movie when I was growing up was Pocahontas and whatever that guy's name was. The bad 
colonial guy. I don't care. Oh, yeah. He was, like, the mayor or something. Yeah, like, he wanted to be governor, and he was... You know, oh, governor, that's what it was. Something like that, anyway. Was it Columbus? No. Not quite that far back. But... Columbus. <laughs> uh, the other person I thought of, though, was Frollo, which is the first time I realized on my own how perverted some of the Disney movies are. Because uh, Hellfire is fucked up. Hellfire is an awesome song. It is. It's also fucked up. Yeah. No, look that shit up on YouTube if you haven't seen Disney's version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it's, by the way, it's absurd that movie ever got made. Like, who reads that book and is like, this would make a great family film? <laughs> well, like, they completely <laughs> boulderized it, so... Yeah, right. I don't remember any of it. I think that was, like, the mark in which I sort of, like, uh, clocked out. That was my Disney last movies. one. Like, I haven't yeah. seen Mulan ever. Um, I'm kind of like holding out to see how long I can make it without ever seeing it. Yeah. Because people get horrified when I tell them that. People Ooh, love that one. Yeah. yeah, people really love that one. It's great if you're okay with like a total lack of understanding of a culture. <laughs> uh, it's it's it is it is great though. Like as a movie in a vacuum, it's fantastic. I do like but, the bit where it's like he was three feet away. I can't believe you missed. Yeah. No, there. It's full of great moments like that, but yeah. but that dragon Mushu is really racist. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, oh, and there, are, Eddie there Murphy. Yeah. yeah, and oh, there, are, there are like several other issues with that, <laughs> particularly the way it portrays the Mongolians too, mm -hmm. which is, yeah. Uh, but it's it's still it's just it's just so fun. Um, well, I mean, like Pocahontas doesn't have problems. Yeah, exactly. Same same sort of thing. Um, God, I'm coming off as such like a cynical douchebag, even though I, I, I baited out this Disney question. <laughs> nah. Uh, yeah. So what, if anything, are you drinking this uh, this fine evening? Uh, a Cider Boys Peach County Apple Peach Hard Cider. Whoa. It's fucking delicious. Cider Boys Apple Peach Hard Cider? Yep. What, am, what am I missing in the middle of that? Peach County. I don't, whatever. Peach it's, it's apple and peach. It's peach flavored hard cider. That sounds delicious. It is. Yes. And I've, arguably nutritious. I mean, it's fruit. I've, I've struck up conversations with people, like, behind me in the grocery line. Like, is that stuff good? Like, yes, it is. You should go buy some. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Cider Boys, they're, they're Peach County. Purchase some today. <laughs> Mon money, please. Yes. We really need some sponsors. Yeah. Those podcast dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I still fall asleep on a giant pile of pennies every every night. Oh, yeah. Sponsored by <laughs> Audible so and Tangeray. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's see. My favorite Disney villain. It might be Scar. I actually struggle with it because mm -hmm. I think aesthetically Maleficent is totally my favorite. But oh yeah. I think I just enjoyed Jeremy Irons as Scar a lot, like as a kid and as an adult. He just he just kind of sees with sketchiness it's very uh, rare that you see like a british villain who comes off as kind of a low life instead of that like classic aristocratic mm -hmm. sort of villain he's like a nazi lion yeah oh right. i have a i i want to bring up an issue because i love scar growing up but then as this question came up i did consider scar again and there's this motivational issue that uh i'm sure we'll get into we'll, we'll talk about scar some more later and that was a uh, motorcycle, the Segway motorcycle. A Segway, a what? No, uh, never mind. Okay. 
No, I want to go. You might. So wait, was it one of those like three wheel motorcycles? No, it was. It was. A, it's a regular motorcycle, but it heralds a segue into actual discussion. Oh, segue. Okay. A segue right. like a nerd mobile. Okay. Yeah, I know. And as soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh, that's confusing." <laughs> so we're going to be talking about villains, bad guys, antagonists, evildoers of all sorts for a little while, because that's a subject that actually is kind of near and dear to all three of us that we. We just realized we hadn't talked about it on air and, and, and it was pretty fun. So uh, I guess I want to start with just who some of your favorite villains uh, from any media, really, book, TV, movie, game, etc. are. So let's start with Kristen on that one. Kristen, who uh, outside of the Disney realm are among your favorite villains? Hannibal, of course. And I think uh, perfected by Mads Mikkelsen, who keeps his mincing in the kitchen. Pun! I'm so sorry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I like what they did in Batman Begins of having the uh, escalation of bad guys to mm-hmm. more refined and organized. And and that's the way you do multiple villains, is that they're all kind of connected and they all know about each other, but they're all kind of scared of each other too. Well, Ra's al Ghul isn't scared of anyone. But basically, the moment where... Uh, what's it? Help me out, guys. The, uh, Scarecrow or... The other one. The first one. Uh, Falcone. Thank you. Where Falcone's like, wait, he's coming here? And Scarecrow goes, yeah, yeah, he is. Like, oh, shit. So I thought that was handled really well. Actually, it's the 45th anniversary of the moon landing, and so I'm thinking about Apollo 13, and an uncaring universe is a pretty damn good villain. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, a setting? When settings become characters, or, like, setting as a concept becomes characters, particularly antagonizing characters, like, it's... It's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, in Sunshine or, you know, Apollo 13, where you just, like, have to basically get out, that's really good. And let's see, I'm rereading Harry Potter, and I'm in the fifth one now, so Umbridge fucking sucks, Mm -hmm. and she needs to die in a fire. Mm -hmm. Maybe not get raped by uh, centaurs, but, you know, whatever. Um, Because that's what happened. Yeah. That that escalated quickly. It Well, I mean... The way she reacts to that, it's it's pretty sketch what happens to her. Can we focus on Umbridge a little more? Sure, because... actually, yeah, I think that might be the best one. Yeah. Um, especially because it's very good how Harry Potter doesn't fall into Death Eaters and good people. Right. Like, Umbridge hates Voldemort. Or at least she, sort of. But she's also the worst. Mm-hmm. And so there are bad people who are still fighting Voldemort. And so I like that. It, it's less nuanced when it comes to the Slytherins, but I do like that not all bad people are Death Eaters. Right. You've got this concept of, uh, you know, I think Umbridge by the end is, is, is effectively corrupted, but... Um, well, she's literally corrupted by the necklace. Right. But you have this concept for a while of her being an antagonist in the more kind of true root definition of the word, where just somebody who is opposed to the protagonist instead of necessarily someone who is inherently evil. Right. Um, and that's that's pretty neat. I also like that Umbridge is very relatable, probably more to, to British children than American children, but the, the concept of like the really strict authority figure in a British school who's like very prim and proper and like cannot have things another way and is not afraid to like cut your hand open. I feel like that was something that was very apparent in like the 20th century British educational system. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. Yeah, exactly. So she's she's definitely very cool in that regard. 
Rob, did you ever read any of the Harry Potter books? I know you've seen some of the movies, right? Yeah, and um, was she the one in pink? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, she's very um, well portrayed in the movies, but that movie got destroyed, or that book got destroyed in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> I didn't read as far into the books where I, I came across her. I saw most of the movies, so uh, I must have uh, seen her there. I don't have quite a, uh, as great a Harry Potter memory as you two, but uh, she sounds cool. She's the worst. I want to reach through the page and <laughs> punch her in the face. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's sort of one of those those antagonists who, like, did you ever watch like the original Power Rangers? Like she yeah. was she was like the bulk and skull level. Like she's not she's not a big bad. She's not like that. But she's just like. She's she's a caricature that's based on something very real and that yeah. everybody can relate to kind of wanting to punch in the face, you know? So, yeah. And she also carves words into Harry's skin. I mean, she's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, <laughs> that's like a dark turn in the book. And it's early, too. Hmm. Weird. It's in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. They, like, they show it once in the movie and then, like, again with the group. But, like, in the book it's a week where he's going back to detention and like he has to do lines saying I must not tell lies and the ink is his own blood. Mm-hmm. Like is she your favorite villain in Harry Potter? Cause there are a lot of antagonists, but do you, do you think there are any better ones, even though she's sort of, you know, lower to mid tier in the grand I, scheme of things? I think of just like loving to hate. She's gotta be the best. Mm-hmm. Snape is so fucking creepy. Like, mm-hmm. there's one part, it's in the fourth one, where they're in class, like, so all the students are there, and it's when Snape thinks that Harry's been breaking into his office, even though it totally hasn't been, or at least this time, and he's whispering to him. He's just hissing at him, like, hey, Potter, you suck, and I know that you've been in my office. And it's like, that is the creepiest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's this adult hissing at a 14-year-old, like, that's so fucked. And then he names his kid after him. Like, shit, Harry, what, what's your problem? Yeah, no, uh, that 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 moment is really great. Because you can tell, like, that he's touched he's touched a truly personal nerve. That's, like, the first time you see Snape, like, angry in that specific a way. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... The hissing is pretty creepy. And then, like, the, the worst memory or whatever is, is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. So let's, let's move on to Rob a bit. Rob, um... What are, or who are some of your favorite antagonistic oh, characters? <sighs> it's a tough one. Uh, I just love them all so much. Most of mine are going to be movies, I think, at least uh, this early go-around. I love Roy Batty from Blade Runner because he's menacing and creepy, but he's one of those villains who has that, that kind of backstory, that kind of motivation where at, at the end we sort of realize how kind of tragic he is. And is he, he the Tears in the Rain guy? He is the Tears in the Rain guy. Okay. That, moment, and, uh, that moment is so good. Yep, it, it, we sort of realize, uh, not, ju- not just then, but it, that becomes the moment where, it, where it, the, the emotional note there is that he just kind of wants to be human like everyone else, and why was he dealt this raw deal? If, if you have not seen Blade Runner, he is uh, an android, a replicant. They only live, I, th- I think it's four years. He's on a quest to fix that within himself. So yeah, that I mean, that's the kind of quote-unquote sob story you can give a villain to make them motivated enough to do awful things, but also have a, a, a certain level of sympathy. <laughs> Why do I hate more than replicants? 
myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, yeah, no, he, he totally touches upon how important it is to make your antagonist a true character, to give them motivations that can generate empathy. And by empathy, I don't mean sympathy. I mean empathy. I mean, Yeah, like, you're right. It's like empathy, understanding it's where they're coming from. Right, exactly. totally, totally. I also, I have a just giant hard-on for villains that are sort of like mentors through much of the film, and then we sort of realize that, oh, they're very scary. Ra's al Ghul mm -hmm. uh, in Batman Begins, but I'm more thinking like Tyler Durden. Mm. Uh, from Fight Club, or God, I can't remember his name, but uh, oh, it's Alonzo uh, in Training Day, which mm. is uh, Denzel Washington's character, which is maybe one of the best villains on screen. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Well, I don't know. All right, so we're back I'm in Harry Potter land where I don't know. Yeah, okay, Dumbledore counts, I guess. I, I don't know. I haven't read it. Yeah, we'll stay away from Harry Potter land. But for Fine. the record, I, I, I disagree with Kristen. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. He's not he's not a villain, but he sucks more than you would think at first. Oh, they hide stuff, right? We find out that Obi-Wan hid stuff from Luke. Right, yeah, it's the kind of willful omission of facts that would possibly mm -hmm. help the uh, main character make their own decisions better. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think it still ends up being a question of uh, well, whether antagonism is at the core of their mm -hmm. character. But it comes down to acceptable losses mm -hmm. that badly affect the main characters so mm -hmm. Dumbledore sucks <laughs> <Wow. laughs> alright I'm not going to continue this argument just yet uh, <laughs> let's, let's go back to Rob but no I, I just love that dynamic and I think Bill the Butcher is it Bill the Butcher? it is uh, I believe uh, William Bill the Butcher yeah William Bill the Butcher in Gangs in New York oh, uh, yeah. by Daniel Day-Lewis also it, we know he's bad to begin with so that's it's a little different we know he's bad, but then we sort of get seduced by him. And then at the end, we're like, nope, he's crazy. He needs to die. <laughs> so it's sort of a back and forth there. But I do I do like the sort of friendship that breaks down. Carol, voiced by James Gandolfini and Where the Wild Things Are, is also a great friendship that breaks down and becomes kind of scary at the end. And then we realize that, nope, we cannot continue our relationship with this person anymore. And that becomes kind of the victory of that movie. So... Yeah, I, I, I like I like the, the sly villains, the ones that we think are sort of benevolent and sort of raucous and fun for a while, and then we, we slowly realize that oh, we're going down a, the wrong path here. Because that leads to a more of emotional conclusion, because now we have like a bedrock of like, oh, okay, this did work for a while. We, these characters do have a connection to the heroic characters, and then uh, we have to tear them apart. And mm -hmm. that, uh, just love that. Just yeah. the tearing. Yeah. Well, Rob, the breaking since, of hearts. Since you've been in movie mode, mm -hmm. I do want to ask if you feel there is a part of the villain's portrayal that is the most important. Because there are obviously so many different factors that go into a movie villain. You have yeah. the performance. You have the design of the villain themselves. You have the writing for the character. Um, obviously, all of them are important. But if you mm -hmm. had to choose like a most important thing, what what do you think it would be? Like what really, when you're what? watching a movie and there's a great villain, what is it that like really jumps out at you? God. Putting you on the spot. That's really hard. I agree. All those things are essential. I would say their relationship to the protagonist coupled with their relationship with the theme of the story mm -hmm. is the chocolate and peanut butter of what makes a really great villain. It mm -hmm. needs both a lot of 
stories do one or the other, and it's very hard to do both. But uh, yeah, I think I think the relationship, and it can be implied, it can be sort of like a conceptual relationship with the hero matters, but it also needs to tie into the larger themes of what the story is trying to say. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense? So yeah. I think, I mean, that sounds very broad and academic, but uh, actually those are the, the, the kind of things that make a villain great. Yeah, and that, that does, you know, it starts at the script level. Obviously you can yeah. manage that in other ways, but definitely starts with the the way the villain is in, integrated into the script. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So on that note, I think we're going to take a quick refill break. And then when we return, we're going to talk about some things that piss us off about villains. Oh, man. Oh, man. So we will be our beat. So before we move on with our villains discussion, I realized I forgot to say what I was drinking, and I am uh, consuming a Leinen Kugel Summer Shandy in a can, uh-huh. which has been a favorite uh, line this summer. I'm so Thanks jealous. So I think yeah. like every other episode I've been drinking this, and I uh, have to thank John and Michelle because they they were the ones who turned me onto it, and it's just it's just so refreshing. I can't find any fucking shandy in the grocery store. I'm so pissed off. Oh, really? I feel like there are a lot of them now. Yeah, I shandies like, are in. I feel like it's a thing. Yeah. yeah it's definitely definitely become a thing. That and, uh, that and Mead are both on the, on the, on the rise. Mm-hmm. All right, so favorite villains of mine. They generally fit, I think, into two categories. One, similar to Rob, kind of occupy that shades of gray cat- category. Slightly differently, not, not necessarily a mentor role, but characters who are opposed to the protagonist but are not inherently evil. If you've ever seen the Miyazaki movie uh, Princess Mononoke, there are several of them in that movie that are fantastic. In fact, just about every character who isn't Ashitaka, who's the main character, is an antagonist in some way or another to him. They, they are opposed to his goal because his goal is ultimately to stop a conflict and pretty much every other major character is involved in this conflict. So you have Lady Omoshi who basically runs the human village that is mining iron and is destroying forests and she has her shades of gray like she cares about the human village and she's oddly progressive in various ways. But she just doesn't give a shit about nature. <laughs> she just doesn't care. And she tries to kill people in, in ways that you don't like, including Ashitaka at one point. She's, she's just a fantastic character in addition to being an antagonist. They're kind of characters first, antagonists second. Then the, yeah. other, the other category of villains I tend to like are villains that are just all about good presence. And that you know is true in pretty much any medium. Gaming definitely has a, a big portion of that. Back in the 90s, the seventh installment of Final Fantasy came out, and its villain, who is famous among nerds everywhere, uh, is a character called Sephiroth. And if I go back and I look at him as an adult, and I kind of break him down at like a script level or a writing level, he's not that great a character, but he looks awesome. Mm. And he does things that, you know, the graphics in the 90s weren't the best, but... 
Like, there's a sequence <laughs> where, a spoiler alert if you care about a game from 1997, there's a moment where the main love interest is, is basically sitting in the middle of the temple, kind of praying, and he falls down from the ceiling with a gigantic sword and impales her directly in front of the protagonist, and then slowly, like, literally just slowly draws the sword out while staring at him, and then walks away. And you're just like, whoa! No! Um, so, he's, he's just got this mystique about him that's really cool. In the intro one, I said Maleficent. It's, it's sort of similar. When she turns into a giant dragon, that's just fucking sweet. You're just like, that is scary and intimidating, and I am now worried about what is going to happen. There are certain villains that are a kind of, like, presentation villains or, like, showroom villains that, yeah. like, may be kind of goofy. I, the one I can think of is General Grievous from oh, uh, yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Because Darth he's, like, soup. Uh, Darth Maul, yes. But even more extreme than Darth Maul. I, I can defend Darth Maul, but... Uh, General Grievous is like so he's like there for almost for comedy but then he gets like the four lightsabers out and you're like whoa yeah or every little every every little boy is like whoa four yeah. of them and they're spinning really fast so that so they're not even there for any sort of like emotional they're there for like the the most sort of basic plot steps that you need to take to get to the end but they're also like look awesome and they're spectacle really so i have i actually have a great love for those kinds of villains too. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's dig a little deeper. Kristen, you mentioned a lot of your favorite villains. So what do you think makes a great villain? Well, what you mentioned um, is the presence, which I think is really helpful. You want the main character to be a little bit seduced by them. You might have Hannibal on the brain a little bit. It keeps them compelling to us and also compelling to the main character so that they have some sort of interesting interplay. And also, like, you know, when they are... Uh, you know, almost seductive in their worldview, too, uh, when the main character can sometimes get uh, almost convinced. That's always a fun moment. Um, oh, I forgot my favorite villain of all time, which is Nazis, uh, which is the opposite of this. <laughs> totally, totally, it, on a totally different note. <laughs> Nazis, because it's just like, it's the best. It's just like, mow down Nazis. It's uncomplicated. Mm -hmm. But the other thing the villain has to have because a lot of the stuff has been like a nice to have. This is a has to have. They have to have a plan or a rock solid worldview. Oh man. They have yeah. to have a reason to do what they're doing. Right. I mean, is, so we're going to talk about Loki or Skull. Yes. Um, cuz yeah. even the Joker has a worldview. And so he yeah. has a reason for doing what he like not in an individual like weird twitchy level, but like overall, he has a reason for being. And so that mm -hmm. Makes right. him good. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would maybe argue a little bit against that because as much as I love Joker stories and much as I, I love the Dark Knight, he comes off as more of a story device rather than uh, an actual character or a thematic device. Um, maybe they totally don't get into him a lot. Yeah, I actually totally agree with Rob. Uh, like Ledger's Joker, I love Ledger's Joker. In I love night, it too. But he's totally in the pres presentation category. Right. I, like, yeah, I think he is. Uh, well, he's in the presentation category for sure, but he's also in like the, the like the writer's hand category too, where it's like, hey, this is supposed to be a real person, but he seems to know like all the things that he's supposed to represent in the story of this world. Mm. Like when you say you're an agent of chaos, like 
uh, okay. Like a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's way on the nose, and well, that is, um, I don't know, that that's become kind of a turnoff for me. Yeah, I um, would argue that there's irony in him doing that because he, I think he's lying when he says that, much in the same way that he uh, is lying when he tells the story about his father to everyone. It's it's that he is the ultimate schemer. Everything he does is a plan. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, I would but, agree, and but of course, yeah. There's still, well, I still would argue that there's not much behind him that we do get. Harvey or Two Face in that movie is, is way more interesting. Yeah, especially when you've watched it the dozens of times that I've watched <laughs> that movie. So, let's get back to what Kristen was saying, where it's like we were talking about Scar earlier. Uh, Jeff likes Scar. I like Scar too, but I'm a little over villains who like want a thing, and that's like a position. Or yes. uh, in, in a hierarchy, and then it's like, and then what? And exactly. then what, what are you going to do with it? Loki is, is, is in that title, position too. And then, yeah. what's your plan, though? Yeah. Like, like, his whole deal is like, oh, my dad didn't love me, and I right. should be, you know, in equal well, with Thor. It's like, why, though? I do, I do think do? that there's something to be argued with Loki and sort of daddy issues and sort of adoption issues that, that would explain that. But with Scar, he turns the pride into like a dystopia and is like, he's happy about this. Like, I know it's for children, but this is what I'm saying is like where it doesn't make quite a sense after a more uh, maybe a closer lens is placed to it. He's great. Jeremy Irons is great. But in terms of still appreciating these stories, you know, years and years on, and if we're going to talk about it on a podcast with this kind of scrutiny, let's be tough on these stories because not not all of them do that. So, yeah, like what was Scar's sort of plan beyond being king? I think, just- I think Scar and Loki actually have a lot in common in that both of them are motivated by brother issues as opposed to anything else. You know, Scar feels like he's, and, and again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with too much veracity because Scar is also a presentation villain, but then again, almost all Disney villains are presentation villains. <laughs> yeah, right. But Scar, I think, was just, he was motivated more by his relationship with Mufasa than his actual desire to be a king. And yeah, that's, Loki, that's Loki really similarly point. has a couple throwaway lines. I mean, granted, Loki is not, from a, a strict writing standpoint, really the point of that movie. He is meant to be a plot device because it's a crossover movie. Well, but um, yeah, well, but Loki, well, Loki does confess in that movie that that he's he he mostly just wants to rule earth to spite thor uh, well, when he talks to him not yeah, good that's enough that's not no that's in yeah. any let's, sense and loki is just be... the biggest disappointment he's the only decent marvel villain but that's like compared to people who don't have lines and just have scary masks on yeah or nazis or nazis nazis are still the best villain of all time uncomplicated but like he's the only character that is interesting at all he's just so wasted i want to create a distinction at least for myself personally that in the thor movie i think loki is great and i think they really do prey upon those brother and father issues that we've been talking about in the avengers he's a disaster yeah Yeah, i'm mostly thinking of the avengers right yeah he he's just a device in the avengers like it it, nothing makes any sense in that movie yeah podcast Um, history for anyone who's newer to this (laughs) rob and Kristen really don't like the avengers it's not my fault they're allergic to fun but i keep watching it i want to like it it's just i want to like it too i've watched it like three times oh god it's so boring the only good part of that is robert robert downey jr Mm -hmm. interesting 
we seem to have segued into a territory where we're talking about things that we don't like in villains. And I want to bring up an issue that I see in a lot of... I've, I've watched a lot of kind of dumb action movies on Netflix over the past, like, two years or so. Because just every now and then it's a rainy Saturday afternoon, and you're like, fine, I'll watch Wrath of the Titans or whatever. And one of them that I watched maybe two or three months ago when I was actually sick was uh, Olympus Has Fallen. Oh which is Which is... <laughs> It's, it's, it's an interesting movie to watch if you're interested in filmmaking or writing for film at all because it's like... It's a negative like, example? Well, it's, it's not negative. It's textbook procedural. Like, it, and that's, all, that's redundant. It's, it's literally like when you are a 20-something person who wants to get into Hollywood, you write a script like this because it meets all the check marks that they tell you about in Screenwriting 101. <laughs> like, it's, it's that. And one of the problems that you get with antagonists in those movies... Uh, is a common problem with protagonists as well, and it's plot armor. Mm -hmm. You run into a situation where an antagonist is doing something absurd, like something unreasonable, but you know nothing will go wrong. And in, the, in that movie, in the case of that movie, it's breaking in and destroying the White House and taking the president hostage. Yeah. It's like when God. you know during that sequence, nothing will go wrong with the plan. You just know, like, watching it from the very beginning when you're like, the plane is descending, you know, around Washington, and it's like, you know, from that point on, you're like, all right, the next 20 minutes of this movie are going to be, oh, no, you know, the villain's plan <laughs> is working perfectly. Oh, and then yeah. there's, a, there's, like, an inverse U-curve where, like, the, as, as the plot armor for the villain decreases, the plot armor for the protagonist mm -hmm. increases. Yeah. And so I guess I guess the plot armor problem exists for both, but it's really frustrating in antagonists. I like it when the antagonist has to worry as much as the protagonist. I, yes. I like that. Yes. I like true conflict. And, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. shows or uh, uh, books, I, I would actually say the Song of Ice and Fire books do a really good job with that. The Game of Thrones uh, TV series does a, a reasonably good job at portraying that as well. You're, you're kind of always worried even for, you just have no idea. Like, no idea who's going to die. Two things brought to mind as, as Jeffy ran through that. One is we've waited way too long to break out this quote, which is like a, I don't know, like an MFA writing ugh, classroom kind of quote. But every the best villains are the heroes of their own story, mm -hmm. which is really cliche, but actually for a lot of times uh, is true. Well, that comes uh, to my point is they have a worldview or a plan. Right, Exactly. And uh, whenever I think, whenever I hear that quote, I think of Magneto because Magneto is mm -hmm. like I don't know. Part of me wants him to win, mm -hmm. so because he he just so believes that he's doing the right thing. Anyway, that's aside. Secondly, Game of Thrones I think is starting to fall into Scar category for me, where it's like everyone wants this throne. I have absolutely no idea what any of them want to do with it, mm -hmm. or or yeah. make the world better or benefit in any way. It's because clearly a shit job. It's yeah. clearly a shit job, and, like, it's so, like, in the background, it's, it's such, like, static that, like, oh, being king is good in that story, because obviously, you know, uh, you're not, like, some farmer who dies from, like, a splinter or something, like, out in, <laughs> out in the wilderness. But at the same time, like we just said, it's obviously a shit job, and, uh dangerous and you you know you have a big target on your back so that story at least on television for me as someone who hasn't read the books is starting to fall into that, that category where it's like i don't i don't believe that people want this as much as they do like i wish there was another element to it that would sort of justify such a fervor over this throne mm -hmm. yeah 
But I don't like it when they get less smart because the plot needs them to. Conveniently. Yeah. 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 And, like, they, 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 their plan falls apart right at the exact moment when the third act starts happening. Right. Yeah, and I, I wonder if there's an issue there with how the entire commercial model of filmmaking works, because obviously those are the, the biggest examples of of the battle of a protagonist and an antagonist, or like the, the higher budget kind mm-hmm. of materials. And I think people who enter that system just feel a little too confined by certain r- rules for how those conflicts work. Yeah, and, also yeah. an end to, if you kill the mothership, everything else just falls down and dies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, There's- man. There's definitely, yeah, I mean, it's, it's another Avengers barb. Yep. For sure. I feel like in popular movies, in, in big studio movies, I, I feel like the climate over the last couple of years has been that audiences have gotten so sophisticated in terms of what to expect in terms of twists and reveals and that kind of thing that it, plots have gotten really convoluted and complicated even in you know franchise movies, and that actually hurts telling the villain story, or at least understanding the villain, empathy towards the villain, because all the obstacles that the hero has to face has to be within the the framework of understanding what the villain wants. And as as much as we try to complicate that to trick audiences and to impress audiences, we're hurting the bad guys because. We need to understand on an emotional level what they want, or on a fun level is what they want. So I feel like we're getting bad, bad guys more and more frequently because of that. Does yeah. that make any sense? No, that, that that does make sense. They're reducing in order to make up for the convoluted nature of the rest of the plot and and the rest of the themes they want to touch on. Villains are reduced to more simplified concepts, which sounds like uh, an ironic thing, but it, it definitely happens and makes sense. Like, uh, if you ever watched Hellboy 2, that totally happens in that Ugh. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, that movie tries to touch upon so many different things and is just way, way over its head on all of the convoluted shit it deals with. And so as a result, they make their villains kind of pretty straightforward right um, right but even more than that i don't I, I don't feel like we're even simplifying well i think simplifying is the actual the result of this but i i think it's like a side effect in terms of we can't understand what the villain wants because it needs to be like a throwaway line like two hours into the movie because they need to explain a and b and c that already happened which we were in the dark for you know what i mean like it, it's it's di- diluting that worldview that Kristen was talking about because it's really the nuts and bolts of spectacle and making things as twisty and turny as possible to surprise audiences and the villain suffers from that. I don't know if I agree with you guys. Okay. Well, I think it's kind of like, you know, a bell curve or whatever of like how much you need to explain about a villain. Um, if it's, you know, the kind of, if like in training day or something like that, like it's a very complicated relationship. And so you want to like really get into like, what is the villain's deal? But I think sometimes, you know, to make the movie more complicated or more adult, the plot gets kind of complicated, or we go into like a whole sob story about the main character. I, don't, I just think that sometimes the simple villains are good. I mean, I'm thinking of Pacific Rim, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. A, I'm. Big giant monsters. Like, I don't care what the monsters want. 
if I have to hear one more terraforming and one more freaking blockbuster, I'm going to lose it. Because I don't yeah. give a shit. These monsters are wreaking havoc on a city, so we got to get rid of them. It doesn't matter why they're wreaking havoc on a city. Well, they I, are. I actually, I, I totally agree with Christian in which the, the number of movies or... Yeah, I guess we're, if we're talking about movies, the number of movies in which they feel the need to explain everything in has yeah. reached basically 100%. And sometimes we just want a general Grievous. We don't need to know his backstory and, like, who sent him here or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, in the case of uh, spectacle villains, like, I don't need, like, some, some grand agenda behind them all the time that is discovered last minute. It, it sort of sucks the fun away a little bit. Yeah. Well, Pacific Rim, I mean, it's a little ironic because it's also a Guillermo del Toro movie, does mm-hmm. not suffer from the same convolution problem that Hellboy 2 did. Like it's it's not just that the villains are simple. That whole movie is is straightforward. Yeah. So I think in those sorts of situations where they are just like, well, we want to make a black and white movie, it works. The problem is when they want to make a shades of gray movie but they don't know why they want to make a shades of gray movie. Yeah. How they want to make the shades yeah. of gray movie. So the villain just becomes this abstract concept that in this gray world instead so black of, and white swirly and Yeah. It's, <laughs> and suddenly you end up uh, you know covered in a newspaper and you're very confused. Um, yeah. No, I, I think I, I I hear I hear kind of what both of you guys are saying. I do want to mention we're running out of time, which is sad because I feel like we, the three of us could talk about this for a long time. Part but two. I do want to I do want to mention two more villains that I thought of over the course of this entire discussion who I really realized I liked. Uh, the first <laughs> is a classic Gary Oldman villain from which one. Uh, the f- yeah, exactly. Professional? No, no. The professional one is fun. He's very fun. Don't get me wrong. But this, fifth element. This is, this is the yep. Oh, fifth element. It's, uh, yeah. Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zola. Yeah, he's a. Uh, that's a great villain. Yeah, he definitely falls. I think a little more into the presence category, but it's so unique. Like he's not intimidating at all, but he is intimidating because he's so eclectic and weird. Like, and and he definitely falls into what Kristen was talking about earlier about a villain chain of command. Uh, yeah, right. Like, he's there's afraid the of that where, big cloud. Thing. Yeah, he's afraid yeah. of the giant big evil thing. Yeah, but he and and he has henchmen. So it's like it's like you've got the henchmen who are yeah, afraid of Zorg, so and then Zorg cool. is afraid of the, the evil. Yeah. Mid- middlemen villains are kind of awesome yeah. because they're they're afraid and but you know but they are in know, charge a little bit but they're not they're as much capable they they're capable enough to be in charge of other people yeah uh so yeah i think that's a that's a great call jeff yeah. and the I other one that guy that's a yeah, the, yeah. loki and it's not working <laughs> <laughs> the other one um fits into more of the straight up antagonist category where they're there is a lot of ambiguity, and that's Shane from The Walking Dead. Because oh, I, I loved Shane, man. I was all about Shane. I still stand by the fact that Shane was right. Yeah, it's the show's fault that it got a, a lot of people to that point, and they didn't really realize it. Right. You know what I mean? And then they kill him off, and you know, Rick is the hero or whatever. I can't, so, I can't, I, I watched like yeah. one more season after that, and I couldn't do it after that. No, like, I, I was like, I was like without Shane, there is no show here. No, there's no show here. And uh, yeah, I did the same thing. I watched the first Governor season after that, and I was so pumped, because everyone was talking about the Governor. It, the Governor Shane, sucked. Governor sucked, it and sucked. Uh, Shane was great, because he was a good guy, and then slowly got bent into uh, kind of a bad guy, who we 
I know. We saw his side. Bent, he got bent in totally understandable ways. Yeah, and right. It's, it's true. He's like, he's like, we gotta kill that kid. We totally have to kill that kid. And they're like, we can't kill that kid. That's wrong. And then later on, like, he's out in the woods with the kid. And he's like, hey, man, I want to join up with you and your evil friends who want to come kill us. And the kid's like, great. That's totally what I was planning on doing. <laughs> and you're just like, wait yeah. a minute. Why is Shane the bad guy here? He, like, he, yeah. he should have killed that kid. He, right. they, they, they were planning on coming and killing everyone. So, mm-hmm. And there were like ten times where that happened in the show. Uh, yeah. Like, Shane, yeah. you're such yeah. a bad guy. And it's like, no, God. not. But that right. aside, I, I want to give you guys an opportunity to do the same before we move on. Since uh, okay, uh, oh, there, throughout the, the 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 whole kind of process of discussing what we like and what we don't like, are there any other standouts that you uh, you want to mention before we uh, we put a lid on it? I'm looking at my bookshelf and I see Hellboy. And so again, Nazis. Yeah, but a Russian wizard Nazi, which is awesome. True, Worm Tongue. I like him. I like him in the movie, and especially when he has that moment with single tear. I love that. Oh moment. my god, Brad Dourif is just the king of tearing up without blinking. Mm. Have you ever noticed this? He's Spe- just awesome. Speaking spent. of Brad Dourif, um, Nurse Ratchet. Oh yeah, great villain. Yeah. We haven't talked about classic villains. Darth Vader hasn't even come up, which is really <laughs> oh, strange because it, it's so obvious. It's like come on. It, it is. It is obvious. I guess. All right. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. I'm looking at my DVD shelf, which is. Strange and uh, Reservoir strange Dogs. DVD shelf. Well, it's it's not strange, but it's strange that you were looking at your bookshelf and I was looking at my DVD shelf and I Is see, it? uh, yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing. But <laughs> I was but, looking um, at my collection of uh, antique. <laughs> I was looking at my collection of games from 1997, and <laughs> that I'm gonna ruin for all. This of is you. what I come up with. I was looking um, at my cat. Um, I realized that it's my your cat, cat a villain because it's a cat. No. So Juniper's not a villain. Juniper's great, <laughs> but cats are. Juniper assholes. is a great name for a villain. Very funny villain. Anyway, Reservoir Dogs, Mr. Blonde. Oh yeah, Mr. Blonde. That That's spoilers. He's a present. He's a presentation villain because we have absolutely no idea what he's. Uh, we don't even know his after. name. He's just a psychopath. Yeah. You don't know his name. We do know his name. It's Vega. Oh, God, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, again, if we're going down the Tarantino route, I mean, he has some pretty damn good villains. Oh, uh, yeah, the the Jew hunter. Yeah, uh, from, shit. Oh, my God. That so sting good. when he shows up in the cafe is just one of the most bone-chilling things I've ever heard until the end of that movie. The first scene of of Inglorious Bastards is, like, so terrifying. <laughs> My personal favorite, though, is the one with Michael Fassbender, because there's the oh, turn yeah. in that scene where you realize something's gone wrong. Yeah, and but you don't no know what it is. What it is. Yeah, what yeah. happened? He no, fucked the, the up. Pub, the pub scene in that movie, I think, is my favorite scene, and it makes it a masterpiece. But the first scene is, like, the promise of that, because it is just so scary. And it, it's in broad daylight, and it's just two guys talking. Mm-hmm. And the reveal that the farmer is actually hiding someone is really late in that conversation. Because the whole time we're thinking, okay, maybe there's nothing going on here. I'm, I'm frightened, but maybe things are going to be okay. And then there's that camera dip into down beneath, <laughs> beneath the floorboards and there are actual people hiding. And you're like, oh man, <laughs> this is not going to end well. Your heart just sinks. And, and you know who's in so, that movie? Uh, Nazis. Nazis. Yeah, you're right. 
I think that's they just are, the overall rule that we're learning. They just are the villains. best, right? Because they're just we could just mow them down without a second thought. Yeah. <laughs> unless one. unless you're reading or watching the reader. <laughs> the reader? What's that? That's that Kate Winslet movie. Dude, the reader is a sweet book and a sweet movie. You should check it out. Really? It's a yeah. for, for for sympathetic Nazis. Well, no, it's more about how easy it is to be just like a regular person in an environment like Nazi Germany and basically be caught up in all of that. And then uh, afterwards, like, how do you hold the average person who was a citizen in Nazi Germany who happened to like work for the government accountable? Yeah. You know? I think Inglourious the- Bastard subverts that a little bit because like, you got that cute guy who's like, oh, look at him. It's the nice Nazi. Like, no, no, he sucks just as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you were saying, the environment, like the, the, the cruel environment, the unforgiving universe, the system is also a very convincing villain in certain places. This Nazi talk made me think of uh, the Wire. They're not. They're not Nazis. No, not the Wire. Well, that's the system. The, that is the system. I was thinking of um, the lives of others, which is uh, it's not Nazis. Oh, it's shit. Uh, communism. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, <laughs> the system that serious. crushes people. Yeah. Oh man, that movie's so good. It is really good. Anyway, I think I mentioned all the ones I wanted to. It's been a lot of fun to to talk about this to the point where I'm sure we'll do it again at some point or another <laughs> because uh, there's so much meat there. But yeah, I think it is about time for our second refill break. And then when we get back, we are going to do a little fantasy summer box office update and then our Geek the Week. Finally! Yeah. So we will be our beat. <laughs> oh, boy. What are they doing at night in the park? little while since we have had a good solid update to our fantasy summer box office game on air of course you can track all of the scores the rules etc on our website just click the little fsbo link in the top right corner so let's throw it over to rob rob what the hell is going on yeah what in god's name is going on i feel like i set up the draft and then like this totally disappeared off my radar for months but we do have some numbers in and they're exciting, some of them unexpected. Two of our players, Michelle and Ben, both who are not with us right now, uh, their cards are done. They're um, alive, they're just not here. Yes, yes, they are alive. <laughs> they're not no longer with yes, us, they're Kristen. Dead. They're not here right now. <laughs> but we're, keep, we're, keeping the, we're keeping their scores alive because, God, we want to beat them. So uh, Michelle, who had first pick, her card is Transformers 4, 22 Jump Street, Tammy, and a bomb pick of Edge of Tomorrow. She's locked in at 262, which seems like a tall order to top. Ben is also locked. He had Amazing Spider-Man 2, Planes, Fire, and Rescue, which just came out this weekend, to a whopping 18 million. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow... Edge of Tomorrow and Maleficent as a bomb pick. He is locked in at 202. So Ben cannot win. We will see if he comes in second or third. I'm guessing third. Yeah, now second place, because the way we did it this year, second place does not have to buy a movie for anybody. 
So second place is kind of a big deal. And if uh, it's possible, third might be off the hook as well, too, if someone who picked only three movies, like Rob, for instance, who's got Guardians of the Galaxy for both Bomb and regular. Oh, that's true. Yeah, mm. so it basically... You, it goes from last place up in terms of who who is who is buying movies for the victor. So you want to talk about last place, Jeff? No. Ouch. Bam! Nice segue. Uh, so uh, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. <laughs> no, I think so, we should talk about third place. Current well, third well, place might not even stay there. Who last yeah. place? Last place is funnier, but we'll get to we'll get to we'll get there. Jeff, uh, Jeff, you got uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, your first pick. That hasn't come out yet. Expendables three, that hasn't come out yet. Jersey Boys did come out fourteen, uh, but Dawn of Planet of the Apes was your bomb pick. It didn't bomb that hard. Yeah, uh, I uh, I was pretty surprised, and that might be a good segue into our yeah, our other just, top contender. Yeah. I mean, if anyone has a shot at Michelle at this point, I do believe it's Kristen. What Kristen had Kristen had Godzilla, which was a solid 93, which was really surprising, by the way. And Dawn of Planet of the Apes as her second pick, which was 73 for opening. She still has uh, Get On Up, the James Brown biopic, which is coming. And uh, Expendables 3 is a bomb. I actually, Kristen, if I'm going to be brutally honest here, I, I do think that your other two picks are going to sink you a little bit because I don't think Expendables 3 costs a ton of money or is going to make a lot of money. So with our new percentage system, I think it's going to be soft. And get on up. I have no ear for these kinds of things. So it could could make like 50 and I would be not surprised. I don't know. So it's it's a question mark. I need 97 points to overtake Michelle. I don't know if I'm going to come in first, but I'm... I could probably beat Ben at this point. I think you can beat Ben. I do think you can beat Ben. Then you need 40 Uh, points to beat Ben. So with two picks to go. Right. John, whose card has uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, which was outperformed by his second pick, uh, Maleficent, which, I don't know, that's a bad sign. And then then he's got Hercules as both his third money pick with an asterisk and his bomb pick. (laughs) John John's fate is uh, roll the die here. Uh, it doesn't look good. Nor does mine, with all honesty. I had X Men at ninety one. I chose a million ways to die in the West. Beat my, my third pick. pick. God, which Jeff? Thank God you picked Jersey Boys because I did not want the lowest numbered pick for the money uh, the money making ones. And and by God, let's let's uh, also be honest. Ben, your your second pick of Planes, Fire and Rescue was eighteen. It was a mistake. It's it's bad. A bad. It's really mistake. bad. <laughs> yeah, I think so, the second picks have really been the defining kind of yeah part part of the game so far. I mean, John had Maleficent, who said his second pick was better than his first. If he'd had an opportunity to pick one of these ninety plus first picks, John would be yeah. totally in the conversation right now because Maleficent was so good. I mean, I'm I'm. Donna Planet of the Apes didn't bomb as hard as I thought, but I did get screwed legitimately, if you remember <laughs> correctly, because. I I used my second pick on my bomb pick, which was Jupiter Ascending. Oh. And Jupiter yeah, Ascending got right. pushed back. Yeah. So I, oh. I effectively, my second pick, which which technically I made the two picks at the same time, is basically my yeah. first pick. Although, right. became my last snake. pick. Like, Doesn't that, I mean, that's like, 
so indicative that almost I almost want to give you a hundred points for the bomb. Yeah, right. I feel like, I feel <laughs> like if your movie it. gets, I feel like if you no. pick a movie and it gets, <laughs> maybe we'll discuss it for next year. If you pick a movie for a bomb pick and it gets pushed, where it's basically decided, hey, we don't want to show people this until it's like really cold and snowy and there's nothing to do outside. Um, you should get you should get like an extra forty points or something because that is like the best kind of bomb pick. They don't even want to release it. Yeah. So So um, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll talk we'll talk about that. But as it stands now, Jeff, you did get screwed. And that's not even the first time it's happened to you, correct? Uh I think it did happen to me a couple years ago too. Yeah, I think else. the first year we did this for like G.I. Joe or something uh, yeah, it, it got was G.I. Joe for Jeff, and then Marcus had 300 Rise of an Empire, which right. got pushed for him. Yes, so it is something that we should probably build into the rules. Yeah, because it's happened now every year, so... Yeah. Well, it's but, only if you pick it as a bomb. If you pick it as a moneymaker... Yeah, you, if you, you pick it as a moneymaker, you should... You should have to be forced into a repick, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, I won't complain too much. I actually... I wonder if I will end up in last place. I think between me and John, it's going to be close. <laughs> Brace the bottom. If I narrow this competition to... I'm, 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 I'm just competing to not be the worst. Um, to not be the worst. But yeah, I mean, I, I got shat on through and through, Like, and it's, it's, it's just a bummer. I was last pick, and yeah, my yeah. first last pick got destroyed so i was last right, picked right. last picked out of my last pick yeah 2014 not not the year summer box office hasn't been kind to jeff teenage mutant ninja turtle 200 million dollars no <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the guardians of the galaxy budget because it cost? if it costs enough i think it might be able to get you there i don't think it costs enough. i mean it looks really expensive yeah it's going to make at least 50, probably. Probably more. I think it'll make between 50 and 70. It, no, I, I'm not seeing it. dollars budget. Up. Yeah, so let's say it makes 70. And then, who wants to do the math? That's that's exactly the math I just did for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's not going to get me there. This yeah. this whole new system of, of the percentage of the bomb picks is, is muting our bomb pick uh, yeah. scores. I think it yeah, I don't like it anymore. Be, it might officially <laughs> be impossible for Rob to win. I like I I'm a Pats fan, so I like blowouts, okay? so Yeah, I, I kind of want to be in the top three. I don't think it's happening. Yeah, I've got to beat Ben. The only way it happens for you, Rob, I think, is if Guardians of the Galaxy makes like 150... Like, like you have to dismiss the bomb pick and go straight with the money-making points. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only way, mathematically. So it has to make just a ridiculous... If it, if it does 50, and then I... I think if it does 50, and it costs 170, that would get me 100 points, correct? That uh, would, get, would get you... It would get you get more than ben. that. It would get you, like, 120 points. Yeah, so I just want to get over Ben at, at this point. At this point, we're trying to beat Ben, and, like, Michelle yeah. will have... Fun yeah, with because your Michelle Michelle is a one, pretty your much. Transformers and, four choke on it. And Kristen is uh, Kristen is kind of a shoe in for second. I could it's, see Kristen competing for first. No, it's a long shot. It's not mathematically impossible, but it's a long shot. Well, Expendables three. It depends on what the budget was. Expendables two had a one hundred million dollar budget. They haven't released the budget for Expendables three. Expendables two made twenty nine million opening. So if if we assume the exact same thing happens, which obviously is not a good assumption, but if it does, you know, you could net 
71 points out of your bomb pick there. And so when you get on up to make about 20-something. Right, which is totally doable because there's a crap ton of star power in that movie. It's a long Never shot again, but it's though. not impossible. Yeah, no, I would definitely say Kristen is in this. She's, you know... She's and Antoinette! But it's, it's, a, it's a fight. It's a yeah. fight between Kristen and Michelle. And then, uh... This happens every fucking year! Yeah. <laughs> Always... It's hard. made never the bride. Uh, it is, it's difficult. Fucking Fault in Our Stars. I'm so pissed at myself. Yeah. If I yeah, pick that... that make? Well, we all missed the, the boat on that one. Yeah. But mostly me, because I was at least aware of it, and I s- dismissed it. Yeah. You fool! Yeah. I know! I was, I was not aware of it. Alright. Oh, God. Well, well so, there, so there we go. Michelle kicking everyone's butt. Kristen could be in it. Interesting. Rob is trying to beat Ben. Jeff is trying to beat John. <laughs> and, uh, and John will be locked in uh, very shortly, by the end of the month. Yeah, because he's got Hercules for his remaining picks, bomb and money-making. So we'll see. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to bet on Kristen. Aww. I, I actually think Kristen will win. I think Get On Up will make 30 to 40 easy, and Expendables 3 will net like 60 to 70. I think Kristen's got it. That's my, my prediction. I appreciate your faith in me. Yeah. We were so wrong! No, um, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, At least thank I you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for that update, Rob. Uh, I hope we do another one in, uh, you know, the next couple soon. weeks. Yeah. We, we, we yeah, might even sure. have a winner soon. We might even know the winner. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to how we end every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that is our Geek of the Week segment, where we talk about things we've been watching, reading, doing, or playing that don't have anything to do necessarily with what we've been talking about for the past 45 minutes to an hour. So let's go ahead and start with Kristen on that one. Kristen, what have you been up to lately? Well, like I said, I've been reading Harry Potter. It's been incredibly stressful. You can see where my, like, loyalty lies, because basically at one point, I'm in the fifth book, and when it's Gryffindor against Slytherin in the Quidditch match, I actually Googled who won because I couldn't just read the chapter straight out in case Slytherin won. I can't handle the pressure! Yeah, kind of. Like, I can't, I just can't deal with that. I mean, especially with this book, Harry's been through enough shit that, like, just Draco Malfoy winning on top of all that would just be unacceptable. Especially because Draco, like, he gets a lot of sympathy for what happens in the later books, which is good. I mean, you know, it's good characterization, but he is, like, a little psychopath. He's so fucked up in these rituals. Like, he wants, like, Hagrid sacked, and he's like, oh, they're gonna kill the hippogriff, and he's, like, super happy about that. Like, dude, you're 14, you need to calm down. No, he's 13. Anyway, kid's a little shithead. But I also want to read from the Cards Against Humanity pack that I got. I finally bought myself the real pack because I I did the print it out yourself method and I was kind of in a rush when I was cutting them. And so they were kind of oblong and shitty. But uh, I I got the 90s expansion pack. So uh, some of the white cards I want to read for you guys. (laughs) Stabbing the shit out of the Capri Sun. Mm -hmm. Pure Moods, volume one. Angels interfering in an otherwise fair baseball game. <laughs> Deregulating uh-huh. the mortgage market. Wearing Nicolas Cage's face. <laughs> Jerking off to a 10-second real media clip. Oh, classic. Yep. And what I think is going to be a Trump card because it just fits everything. Sucking the president's dick. Because here are some of the black cards. And just fill them in with that one. Up next on Nickelodeon, Clarissa explains... <sighs> Oh. I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm... Well, these are lobs. 
How did Stella get her groove back? Siskel and Ebert have panned blank as poorly conceived and sloppily executed. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I just wanted to gloat about my life choices and the 90s Cards Against Humanity expansion pack. I like that. Those are all pretty good. Yeah, I know. Pretty good. Cool. Uh, Well, let's move on to Rob. Rob, what have you been up to lately? So Mad Men ended and Game of Thrones ended. uh, Current seasons, obviously. So I've been in a bit of a TV drought. So I made the decision to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, Why? I did. Why did I you did. make that decision? Because, Jeff, there's nothing on. There's nothing on television right now. Okay? Apparently that's better. God damn it, Rob. And, yeah, I did watch the first four, I think, when it came out. I, we did do a podcast, I think, mentioning that. And they're, they're like, uh, they're, you know, they're not great. <laughs> um, but... Oh, well, here's the thing. Here, here's the other thing. Because I've been... Oh, Hannibal's on a network. I bought those seasons. They're what? They're like 13 or something? Episodes each? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I bought Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thinking, okay, like, across the board, we've adjusted how many episodes are in mm-hmm. a television series. I get like 22 episodes oh, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which just seems like... God, just overkill to me now. Like, that's way too long. Especially when you're trying to, like, build a continuity where the season is, like, the the unit of storytelling. That's a long time. That's, that's, that's like, a day of, of content. And uh, it did get better at the end. It, it got better at the end because of the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. in which, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, is sort of disbanded. And uh, they play into that with, with Hydra sort of uh, infiltrating their ranks. Uh, it's not as bad as I I thought it was going to be, um, and I do I do sort of dig the continuity that it grazes, it glances as it tells its stories to the movies. Can we um, talk about that for a second? Yeah, because sure. Because I am so mixed on how I feel about that. Because on the one hand, I think that's super clever and interesting that they're all integrated and everything, but yeah. I also feel like it's so kind of gross. It's for the whole like Marvel thing because it's like if you like these kids games they have these days where like you buy the board but like oh you need this toy to really be able to play and you need to collect them all and well, like, you can't yeah, appreciate it, one thing on its own right Almost and none that, of these things stand alone sure and you know it's a weird experiment because on one hand you know marvel is trying to do that and on the other hand it's abc and they want people watching the show and, and not just people who've seen the movies watching the show. They want everyone possible watching the show. So they have treated it very sort of carefully. Like when Thor came out, they did an Asgard kind of episode, and it had nothing to do with Thor. Like they mention it, and they're like cleaning up after the Dark World or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they don't really need it. And it, more so with uh, the Hydra stuff for Winter Soldier, they really had their own bad guys running at that point their own storylines running where they could plop hydra onto and be like oh okay it you know it's connected to that so it didn't it didn't it it wasn't as reliant on the movies as uh, as you might think okay. but at the same at the same time if you watched it there's like all these like these little winks at you like oh yeah what happened in okay. dc the hell the hell carriers or whatever and then like for the season finale, Samuel L. Jackson shows up, and he's he's Samuel L. Jackson, and it's all exciting. Okay. 
Okay. And uh, so it's not, yeah, it's 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 watchable. It's very Whedon-esque, but <laughs> kind of like, but not always in a good way, if I'm yeah. being honest. It is kind of cutesy sometimes, and I don't know. I, I, I actually eh, eh, do think I'm going to watch season two when it premieres in September because it did hook me enough to be like, okay, what's going to happen? We'll see. And we'll it's, some, of it, some of it grows on you. Clark Gregg uh, is actually pretty great as Coulson, who I hated in the Well, I didn't hate him, but I, I just didn't get why he was a big deal in like those, those early Marvel movies, but... Once they actually give him some content to be sort of like the main thrust of a story, it's actually pretty good. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, I think it converted me, but it, cautiously, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's not as bad as uh, those first few episodes were. So, yeah, there you go. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., hesitant thumbs up from Rob. Glowing review glowing reviews. not as bad as it started out to look be. it got me look it's a television show it got me hooked enough for i'm gonna watch the premiere of the season the next season i think that's a success for a television show so right there you go but i finally got you to watch hannibal and that was a browsing success yeah oh Kristen, we were cleaning out this back room that we have mm-hmm. in the apartment where we kept all we kept all no we kept all our recyclables there so we were finally going to the recyclable center to take all our stuff this is like eight months of recyclables so it's a, a disaster and uh, we find this bag that we don't know how it got there and it's got all this junk in it and I pull out a complete brand new set of Twin Beaks <gasps> uh, DVD I don't know why it's there but it's both seasons. So clearly the universe is trying to tell me something, so I'll be watching it soon. (laughs) That's That's very sweet, but it's also been on Netflix this entire time. I know, I know it has, (laughs) which I'm saying, it's just a sign from the universe. Like, it's always been, it's always been right in front of me, but clearly (laughs) uh, the gods want me to have multiple formats available to me, so Twin Peaks, it's happening. Yes! That was a long geek of the week, but Once you're uh, you asked the for it. Of Shield bucket. You might as well watch Twin Peaks, I guess. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Rob. <laughs> yes, it, it's a long geek of the week, but it was worth it. So uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna gush a little more about the international, which Steve Marcus and I touched upon last week. It is happening right now as we record this. The third place match between uh, VG and EG is going on right now. Of course, it's two G names. What is this again? This is Valve's $11 million Dota 2 tournament. $11 million. So many dollars. (laughs) Uh, It's happening in Seattle at Key Arena. And basically teams from all over the world are uh, invited. Several qualify in. Some international teams. Yes, it is an incredibly international event. But of course, of all of those international teams, just an update from uh, what we were talking about last week, we are now down to three. Three teams left. Of them, two of them are Chinese, and one of them is American. USA! USA! Even though it has uh, a Canadian on there, I think. But, uh, Kick him out! <laughs> but Evil Geniuses is, uh, is the last hope for any team outside of China. Traditionally, China is considered the powerhouse of Dota. So, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to watch even if you know nothing about Dota and just root for the non-Chinese a team. And, and sort of the same team. way the same way that you root against the Russians in Miracle or, uh, you know, for the Mighty Ducks against that team from Iceland. So, unfortunately... Uh, by the time this podcast is online, the event will be completely over, but it's been awesome. I've, I've watched games with people I know who do not play Dota, and they've had actually quite a good time. Granted, you will probably need someone there to help explain it to you, 
they do have a couple casts uh, designed for people who are new to Dota, and there will probably be uh, VODs, which is video on demand, basically replays available for people if you're interested in checking it out and just seeing what kind of all the fuss is about. But it's there have been some games that are just absolutely nail biters, and uh, it's been really great to root for some of the underdogs as well. So definitely go check it out if you didn't get a chance to during the live event. And yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it for me. I'm in fact going to go watch the rest of it right after we finish recording. So, all right. So at this point, I want to give you guys an opportunity to make any shoutouts and to let people know where they can find you online. Let's start with Rob. Uh, no shoutouts, but you can find me online on Twitter at. Heroes are boring. Cool. Uh, Kristen, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Nero's Liar. Alrighty. You know what? I'm not going to plug my Twitter anymore. I'm just not going to do Damn it. Damn it. I know. No. If, I, if I start tweeting for reels again, I'll do it. But well, we yeah. got to guilt you into doing that because it's, a, it's a, just a travesty. Twitter's hard, man. It's just hard. It's, it's not. Tweeting's it's not hard. hard. I like um, I will, however, <laughs> plug our. Our podcast website at uh, tisbycast.com, that's T-I-S-B for This Is Serious Business, where you can find links to our incredibly excellent Tumblr, to our official podcast Twitter, which uh, is actually excellent and quite active, and our Facebook and whatever the hell else we have. And uh, as always, I have absolutely no idea how to end this episode, but I'm really hungry, so think of something quick. (laughs) Now, I'm going to make you wait. Yeah. That's very villainous of you. <laughs> so villainous of you. What's your worldview, Rob? Yeah. Uh, Tell us about I, your motives. Really I imagine a that. world where Jeff doesn't have Thai food. Oh, so is that your real motivation? Do you think in that world you would actually succeed? Or is it because Dude. your father was distant? That said... Also, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I also... Oh. No, I don't know. We'll, we'll pretend so, this never so happened. I only get, you, I only you, get one? You continue. <laughs> you continue. Be its own thing. We should just do well, a Hannibal episode in was, season three. Yeah, we should. And I was also thinking, uh, we're talking about this. We should do a corollary, which is protagonists. Because I mean, a, so, a good hero so boring, is going to do almost. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's just uh, <laughs> let's just resume it. <laughs> I feel like this entire podcast has been like Jeff going. Okay. <laughs> Again, that's me. That's me in zombie mode. I'm gonna yeah. turn this podcast around if you two don't settle down. Yeah. This is serious business. Kiss him gently on the forehead.